I want to get right into, this is part two uh, from last week, and uh, or maybe we'll call it uh, a transition from last week to this week, not necessarily a direct part two, but I laid more groundwork last week than I intended on, and I felt the Holy Spirit wanted us to do that. Um, I ended up breaking down a lot of ideologies. If you didn't listen, you can go and listen, um, or if you are listening, listen to, to last week's, uh, which is Don't Believe the Lies. And I ended up breaking down these these ideologies that we don't even realize that creep in, they get into us, they get got into the church, and they're these kind of ideas. The Lord kind of just simply, very, very simply just challenged me you know, what are the basics of your faith? What are the basics of Christianity? Do you ever stop and just think about some of these basics like repentance and the sacrifice? What is that sacrifice? Sometimes we have a lot of knowledge, especially if you've been in the church a long time, you can get the knowledge of it. But what does it really mean, his sacrifice? What did it signify? What's the cleansing of the blood, grace, and mercy? And do we stop and just ask the Lord uh, to really show us what these things mean. Do we believe what they mean um, and not just believe what we think they mean? I know that that sounds like the same thing, but it's not. It's a very different thing, isn't it? Sometimes you can think something means something, so you think you believe, but you just don't really know what it means. And then when you really learn what it means, you have to re-believe, don't you? Who's been through that, right? Been through that process with the Lord. So I want to get into this. Jesus came for a purpose and who knows that Jesus walked out his purpose on the earth. He laid the groundwork. The Bible says it's, you know, Paul is talking about uh, some things that he laid down as building blocks. And he said you can lay no other foundation, right, than Jesus Christ, than the one I've already laid. Jesus is the foundation. The things that Jesus did and the things he said. He walked a path and the disciples followed him. And I want to really get into today, uh, they walked a purpose. Everybody, I want you to say it out loud with me. The disciples followed Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus, you know, clearly you can see it. He walked out his path. He walked out his purpose. He fulfilled. He finished. He even said on the cross, it's finished. But Jesus did something else simultaneously while he was shaking the world, while he was dealing with the powers of the enemy and breaking his bonds and, uh, and, and, and summing up, the Bible says, the Old Testament, you know, summing it up and, and bringing a fulfillment to the sacrifice, him being, being that sacrifice. He did all that, but he also did something else, which I would say is, if not almost as important, equally as important, which is that he gave himself for the three and a half years of his ministry fully to his disciples. You might say it is equal or at least almost as equal to the, the sacrifice itself, because I would like to see today, and uh, if you read your word, you'll see that and I say this often, but God uses people. God used Adam and Eve to have dominion on the earth right at the very beginning. 
And he said, be fruitful and multiply. And this was essentially their earth. I know that's so weird and strange. He's still God. It didn't change his throne. He hasn't moved. His kingship hasn't changed. It hasn't morphed and changed. And we change. And the Lord made a plan with Christ and his blood. But he does not change. And his kingdom is, the Bible says, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But essentially, he put us on the earth and said, have dominion, be fruitful, multiply. This is your earth. What changed was not him, it was us. Sin got in between, right? The devil and mankind conspired together unknowingly from man that what they what Adam and Eve were really doing, right? But brought us the whole world into bondage, brought this whole earth under a curse. And when Jesus came, he paid the price. He brought us back into eternity. His blood welcomes us into eternity. It cleanses us. But the second thing that he did was he restored back the dominion of mankind on the earth. And ultimately, he distributes his power and his authority and who he was into his disciples. He didn't just teach them, hey, do this, this, and that. But he lived a life that they literally followed in his footsteps. Even what we don't want to think about, which was even that they all gave their lives for the gospel like he did. And the core of last week's sermon and today's sermon is this. Jesus paid the ultimate and the only acceptable price to redeem us. I'm just going to make some statements here. God loves us very much and more than we can ever understand. And he offered Jesus through his grace... And these are things we know, but they must be stated. We cannot earn his love. You cannot get him to love you more. You know, a relationship with people, right, human beings, the love is increasing. With God, it was 100% from the beginning, and only our love can increase or decrease. His love does not change for us, no matter how much we love or don't love him. He still loves us more than we could ever understand that he gave his only son how much he loved us so it is not about him loving us we cannot earn it uh and we cannot pay him back who knows that you are not paying him back some people call it things like words like penance right that is somehow you working off your sin paying god back for all your sins you cannot pay him back you could never sacrifice enough to earn it So his love has nothing to do with your love and your sacrifice, your life giving to him. You sacrifice your life, you repent, you come before him. It is in no way purchasing or paying him back for the sacrifice. These are just some statements, right? But I'm laying some groundwork here. Whatever could have been done on our behalf has already been done. We are sons and daughters because of the price paid And we've been welcomed into his royal family. And yet, here we are on the earth. I say all that, and yet each of us are sitting here still on the earth. If Jesus did everything for us, if he loved us unconditionally and we could do nothing to earn his love, and if we could never pay him back, then I might say it this way, what on earth are we doing here? What on earth are we doing on earth? Why are we here? 
This is the most valid question we should ask post-salvation. The first question is, am I saved or not? The second question is, why was I saved? Well, the first part is because I was headed towards hell, and the Lord took care of that for me by his blood. The second part is, okay, if I was headed towards hell and you did that, then what am I still doing here on the earth? And we can answer that question, can't we? Who knows your word? And it's one that, you know, so many times what we spend time with in the church is dealing with issues, and, and we need to do that, and I'll do that again. I'm going to spend years and years preaching about how to get through your issues and how to love people and, and, and to love God more, and all of those things are valid. And yet, we must stop and actually think about the real core reason why we're still here. You know you have all of earth to know God and to learn about God and to love him. All of, et uh, of eternity, I hope I just said that right. If all of eternity to do that. All of eternity. So why leave us on the earth? Why are we here? I really felt like I, like I said I needed to slow down and just lay these foundations. And I'm going to deal with a misconception today again, and this is where we're really going to get deeper now into a part two, um, which is what does it mean to be saved? Okay, I know the foundation of that is simple. It's eternity. But what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? Is a Christian just being good? Is it just showing God how good we can be? Are we just becoming more and more like him so that then we can say, look what I've done, look at how good I've got my life, look at all these things I've dealt with, aren't you so proud of me? I know the Lord is, even though you can't earn it, of course he's proud of you. When he watches, just like any father watches a child overcome something, of course the father is proud of that child. Right, but if a child, if if all, their only achievement is look, hey, hey, dad, look at how I've overcome drugs. That would be an amazing accomplishment, but that wouldn't be an achievement yet, right? That for the purpose that their life is here for, right? This is something that needed to happen, and God is proud of that. But that's not the purpose. That was a necessary step to fulfill your purpose. And so many times what is happening is, is a believer is dealing with self for so long, I even have to say too long, that, we, that the enemy just wants us to get bogged down with dealing with self in an effort to really stop what you're here for. And it's not to deal with self. It is, listen, I'm going to say it again because so that no one can say, that you don't need to, I'm going to say it again, you must deal with self. The Lord is very tenacious about that process, isn't he? Who knows the moment you say, I do, to the Lord. That's what you're doing. You made, it's an I do, isn't it? it? It was an agreement like a marriage. It is a bond that is only supposed to be broken in death. It's not supposed to be wavered in and out, right? If a In the same way that a marriage is not. We made a bond with Christ. And in that moment, who knows, you walk out in the parking lot and the Holy Spirit's like, I don't like the way you're thinking right now. I don't like the way you're talking. How's it happen that fast? But who can testify that that's the truth? 
So he is very tenacious about dealing with the issues inside of you, and he will do those things, but that is not his purpose for you still being in the earth. It's not so you can be so good to then what? Be in heaven anyway? Now you're finally ready for heaven? What about a battlefield salvation? Where was their chance to get ready to get cleaned up, right, Dan? The person saved on the battlefield, did they ever get a chance? Right? So, God dealing with self, we must not be confused that that must happen, but that's not his purpose for you in this earth. And sometimes it's very subtle, it can be a very fine line, but we can get confused and think that God's dealing with us, that the purpose is just constantly being refined, being in his presence, being in his glory, and getting more and more like him, which is, is necessary, but then it's meant for us to come out of that secret place, that special place with him, that time with him, that dealing with him, so that the glory is not just within you. You're not meant to carry the glory just for you. You're meant to shine for him. Wow. I think I've already preached. We can go home. That's the core of the sermon right there. That is the core of it. So a misconception in Christianity is this. I said this last week. I'll say it again. Is that many think because they're trusting in God that he's just going to do everything. Now, before we talk about you doing anything out in the world, who knows what we just talked about when we're talking just self. Does God do everything? Now, he certainly does all the hard work, doesn't he? But what, what's required of us? It's very simple. It's not a trick question. Yeah, Trust and obedience, which is what? It's just that's a response. I trust you and I'll obey you. It's just our response. He does all the work. Are you willing to let me do that in you? And we just say, yes, Lord. That's it. We just surrender it all. Do you know it's the same exact process for him to work out through you? It's not a trick. God's not trying to do something in us to try to, you know, deceive us and trick us to now be missionaries for him. You know, loving you and giving you everything and then forcing you into like this hard labor for him. God's not trying to deceive you. It's just, it's the same exact thing. Just surrender over your life, and I'll deal with you. You just be willing to let me do it. And in the same way, when I want to do something through you, just be willing. It's actually that simple. The complication is just flesh. That's all. It is flesh, and it just gets in between. But the misconception we're going to deal with today for very few minutes, wow, I hope you guys are here, ready to buckle in for like two more hours. The Lord will do it in you and through you, but we must be engaged with him. There is an interaction that you can see right from Adam and Eve all the way through, even into Revelation. There is this 100%. It is not... It is crystal clear. You know, there, we argue about all kinds of things. About, we argue about everything about anything. That's just human nature. But in Christianity, it's the same. We have 35,000 denominations because that's just in, in, in English, by the way. 
Just within, you know, the Western world, we have 35,000 denominations because we like to argue about everything. Well, one thing we cannot argue about, it is so crystal clear, is God's, this interaction between him in heaven and man on the earth and this, this joining together, right? You guys hear me say it probably once every three months at least, koinonia. That's the Greek word for the partnership between us and Christ. That is him, it's his power, and it's us doing the working in the earth. It looks like us, it's not us, it's him through us, but we're willing, just as we're willing to let him deal with us. We came to the cross, we were willing to do that, and now I'm willing to let you use me, and God does it, doesn't he? I told you I was inspired to preach on these things because um, I was just preaching for two weeks on David and Goliath, but what really struck me was how David prepared, how he got the stones and put them in his bag. And then when it came time for Goliath, he said, the Lord's going to kill you, but he didn't just stand there and point his finger. He took the stone out, he put action to his faith, and killed that thing. And then he walked over there, even though we know it was more supernatural than just a stone. So you see, it's his interaction. It was his joining together, but God took this giant down with a stone. Okay, so it's still supernatural, and yet it required David to be prepared and put some action to it. And then what happens? He goes over, and now he, God doesn't do it. God didn't cut Goliath's head off. David did. And yet God took Goliath down. So who really did it? And you see what I'm trying to say here, and that's what, what I want to get into again, I uh, guess just for five more minutes, is that <laughs> God, it's his power, it's his glory. We cannot take anything from, I can't take, there's no way I can share in his glory except that he's brought me in. He's welcomed me into that. It's all him, and yet it's completely through you. There's almost, it is an actual, it's a rarity in your Bible that God does a miracle without involving people. Read your word. There are times it seems like, oh, no, no, this is the time. Sometimes I read it like a skeptic of my own thinking that way, and I'm like, no, this is the time that God's just doing it. It has nothing to do with anybody. And then, sure enough, you see there's a reaction. God does something supernatural, but then the people are like, well, we... we Let's go. We got, there's an enemy. God's put them in our hands. We have to pursue them. Let's deal with this thing. Let's go collect the plunder or whatever it is. You see that God does it, and yet it requires... You don't have to. You could just say, oh, Lord, thank you for your miracle. And the Lord's like, okay, you know, that was... I'm glad to do it, but you didn't finish what I started here. Wow. Okay, let's see what we can do with this. I want to just talk to you for a few minutes about the five loaves and the two fish. You could find this story in all four Gospels, but I just want to read here in Mark chapter 6. We'll just start getting into this, and we'll get to where we get to. Mark chapter 6, uh, it reads in verse 34. It says... Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, 
and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. I'd like us to turn here and just look at John chapter 6, verse 8. And the John account says in verse 8, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? And the Matthew chapter 14 account, thank you, Mariah, uh, verse 17 says, but we have only, everybody say only, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, and Jesus said, bring them here. Continuing back in Mark chapter 6, verse 39. It goes on and says, Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Then Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples, so they could distribute it to the people. And he also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 imaginary baskets of leftover bread and fish, and it says a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. John 6, you don't have to turn here, just says, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. I don't know what Jesus is talking about wasting because I'm pretty sure that he only started with five loaves and two fish. So Jesus did this amazing miracle. He got a microscope and a scalpel, right? And he divided it up into 5,000 little micro slivers. That's the world trying to figure it out, right? But then, the, you know, whenever the world tries to figure God out, figure out Jesus, do you ever realize that they miss some key details? You say, okay, maybe Jesus sliced it really thin. But, but how where they all full. So God did another miracle, making people full with a slice, paper-thin slice of fish and bread. I heard something like this about the 10 plagues, and you know, it was very interesting. It was on Discovery Channel, and they're trying to just, you know, describe all this, you know, these things that were happening in that time, and there was an earthquake, and the water rose and lowered, and all these things. But there's always these little loopholes Unless you read the word, you're missing that, well, okay, you know, that's interesting. That answer is one thing, but now you have, you've just opened up a bigger problem here. 
They say that, oh, it was the reed seed because it was only this deep. And then the bigger problem is, okay, so the Lord just spread it across for their ankles to walk through. But then the Lord did a, a greater miracle, which was drowning the mightiest army on earth in six inches of water. So, you know, whenever we try to figure God out, figure out Jesus, you are already, you're already missing it. I want you to get this today, that Jesus is miraculous. He is. Everything about him, and even what we declared in prayer, which went longer than I had intended, which the Lord wanted today, that the Lord's declaring his name. It is joining together with Jesus brings miracles into the earth. You could find, actually, a similar story. Who knows that everybody knows about the 5,000. Who knows that there was a second time that Jesus fed? 4,000. Now, the, the 5,000 is probably one of the most famous stories of Jesus' life that even probably the world knows about, even if they don't know the details. But Jesus actually does this a second time with 4,000 people and also gives them baskets of leftovers. Now, we don't have time to get into all of the points. We're going to break this down next week, but I'm going to just give you an overview. Uh, if we had, like I said, maybe my normal 45 minutes from this point, we could really get into the depth of the sermon, but we're not going to do that today. I want you to think of these seven things, and we'll get deeper into them next week. Number one, Jesus is filled with compassion. The Bible says, in Matthew 6, verse 34, he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. You see that Jesus, and I began to study this, and I thought, there's something to this. I know I need to find out what this means, because I'm I this is not just that he got out of the boat and felt sorry for a crowd of people. And I began to look at this, and um, the Greeks and so did many of the older cultures. They didn't believe that, and it's okay that we say this, that like love and peace and joy and hope and happiness and compassion, we would say those things come from the heart. But they believed it came down from somewhere inside your gut, somewhere down. In, in fact, <laughs> the actual word means a movement of the bowels, which is kind of funny because that's a different bowel movement that... Than, the, than our terms that we have today, but something was moved down within his core. Something was moved. So Jesus is moved by people. And we'll get deeper into this, but Jesus was also trying to deal with his own. He actually, he needed compassion. John the Baptist had just been beheaded, and that's really Jesus needed some compassion that day. And he was quickly interrupted from his own time for them. And the second point is, and again, this is just for you to have some food for thought. And then, right, Tony Ann, this will be like, come back next week and you're going to have some things to think about. Um, point number two is that they said, send the crowds away. Jesus doesn't want us to send people away Jesus wants to draw them to himself. He is filled with compassion, and his purpose is for people. I have literally heard, and I'm ashamed to even repeat it, 
but I've heard pastors, I've heard men of God say, I love God, but I don't like people. I want to serve God. I just didn't wish I didn't have to deal with people doing it. Let me tell you something right now. People are serving God. Or let me say that so that it's very clear. Serving the Lord, loving the Lord. You cannot love him, right? The word says it clearly without loving people. And not loving them in your way. Not loving them that's convenient for you. There's another lie that's crept into the church. The Lord called me to love you, but I don't have to like you. The Bible doesn't say that. That's just something we say to make us feel better about the fact that we don't like someone. Jesus said, I want you to love the people. Jesus loved them. And there's, we're going to get into some reasons, logical reasons, why they said send the crowds away. You know, we just read through the text. But God doesn't want us to send anyone away for any reason. In fact, he wants us to serve them. Jesus says, point number three, you feed them. Jesus says, not only do I not want you to send them away, I want you to feed them. Your purpose here on the earth is to be like him. And again, we'll get some deeper into this, but do you know a pastor is just a Latin word for shepherd? Sometimes we miss things, and this is what I've been, the Lord really challenged me two weeks ago when I began to put these sermons together about coming back to some basics. Sometimes we have these words and ideas of what church is, and well, you're the pastor, you're here to serve us, and I began these type of terms, these type of ideologies, things that come in, I'm not saying you guys think that. This is just people go, they attend churches all over the world. They go into church on Sunday, right? The pastor prepares a sermon, gives them a sermon. They think that that's it. I'm a believer. I went to a church. I had a pastor give me a sermon. I feel good. I'm good, and I'm ready to roll. I'm going to go back to work this week, and I'll do it again next week. And these aren't. that's not really the church. That's not really Christianity. That's not really the kingdom of God. But a pastor is just a fancy word for shepherd. It's just Latin, like fetus, right? Like when the world goes, oh, it's not a baby, it's a fetus. Well, maybe you should do a little research before you guys go around calling it a fetus, because that's the Latin word for baby. Okay? I mean, it's not, you know, it's not rocket science here. You know, just do a little bit of research. And so we used to have a term called under-shepherd. We don't use that term much anymore, but really a pastor, and that is all of you sitting here. You know, maybe you call me pastor because it's the guy like standing in this pulpit, but you guys are all pastors to sheep within your life. We'll get into that as well. But you are a shepherd under the good shepherd. You are all shepherds to sheep. There are people in your life that God has placed there for you to care for. And without, and, 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 and <laughs> get into some deep things with that. But if we, you could even, you could even argue not doing that is not being saved. Well, we could, we could debate that. Some people think being saved, again, there is the battlefield salvation because, you know, the person still has dealt with the core of it, which is, I believe you, you love me, I've paid the price, we're not going to break all that down again. And we know that. But if that person, the Lord's like, I, I'm, forgiving you, I love you, and in fact, I'm going to take you off this battlefield, I'm bringing you back home. If that person now lives like hell and doesn't do what God has placed, the love that he placed on him, if he doesn't let it flow through him, maybe that salvation is something to debate with. So anyway, the point is that we are all shepherds, and in, and in fact, it's really a requirement from God it's not paying him back. It's just who, it's the identity of really who you are. 
The fourth thing that we're going to look at is logic. The first thing that they did, the disciples did, is they said, how? They said, with what? They said, we'd have to work. They said, what good is that? We only have. Only, only, only. I don't have enough. I'll never make it. I, I don't have the, the resources. There's no way this is going to happen. Logic. When we serve the Lord, logic will be one of your greatest enemies. The Lord is a miraculous God, and we are limiting Jesus working through us by trying to debate and figure out everything before we do it. And many times there is a miracle that is missed from someone else because of you. And if you don't think that's true, go through your Bible. And I think this is amazing. But look at all the stories of people that they, they died because they didn't listen to a person. But that person said this message is from the Lord. And they go, no, it's not from the Lord. And so... You know, you may not think it's fair. You may not think it's right. How can someone miss their miracle because I didn't bring it? God loves them more than I love them. Why didn't he just do it himself? And yet God also condemned people for not listening to a person who, who God said, I'm anointing you. This is my word. So we'll see. We can see that, that you thinking I can or can't, it's not only irrelevant, it's actually anti-God trying to figure out how to do it. That is not what God has called you to do. All he has called you to do is just be willing and obedient, and he does it all. Which brings me into point number five. He said, how much bread do you have? God is so kind and compassionate. So with point number five, uh, four being stated, we're going to look at point number five, which is this, that the, at the same time that the Lord doesn't really need anything from you, you know what he asked for? Just give me what you have. Just give me what you have. You say you don't have enough, that's fine. What do you have? And I can't wait to get into that because that's probably, it's one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, believe it or not, and definitely my favorite for today's text. How much bread do you have? And then point number six and is this, and I'm over time and all I'm doing is just prepping you for next week. Jesus blessed and Jesus did it but then the disciples distribute it. And that'll be the core. That's going to be the full core of really what I feel like the Lord wants us to get into. What is, he wants us to really meditate on this season is that it's Jesus doing it, and yet he gave it to the disciples. Jesus could have just went zap, 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 and everybody was hungry instantly. He could have just had manna rain down from heaven. He's done it before, right? There's so many ways that he could have done it, and yet he tells them, you feed them, Jesus breaks it down and makes them. Jesus could have given, he said, come on, get in the line, single file, one by one. I'll give you as much as you want. And yet he keeps giving it to them. They keep coming back and giving it to them. They keep coming back and giving it to them. And finally, point number seven, which I'm almost ashamed to even say, only because it's been so twisted, because the church has taken and twisted so much of God's word. But it is this, it is that, um, the disciples had paid a great price to follow Christ and to serve them. And in fact, if you will look at this, they were hungry themselves. They didn't get a chance to eat either. Jesus was mourning. The disciples had just come back from a ministry trip, and the word says that they hadn't eaten. And now they're here all day. It says it was late in the afternoon. They're hungry too. And the Bible says that Jesus said, now go gather the leftovers. How many disciples were there? 12. How many baskets did they gather? 
Who do you think those leftovers went to? Put them in 12 baskets, so it's not going to 5,000 people. The Lord wasn't like, oh, give them a little, you know, a little goodie bag on the way out. Gave them baskets for their service, and that's not why we do anything for the Lord. But the point is that whatever you give him, it'll never, ever amount to what he gives you. It's not why we do what we do, but the Lord will take care of you. You serve him, you put him first, and the Lord will give you way beyond. And it will come from seemingly nowhere and nothing. It started with nothing anyway, and yet here's the Lord providing for you on the way out. So those are some things I'd like us as a church, and I never ever do this, but go home and I want you guys to read with me, because I believe that this sermon has so much power, and the Lord has, there's so much stuff in here, so just read with me as a church when we come back next week, and we'll get deeper into this, but you can find uh, in Mark chapter 6, in John chapter 6, Matthew 14, and, um, and in Luke 9, you can find this story. Read through the accounts of the five loaves and two fish. And um, when we come back next week, it, not only did I prep it for you here today, but it'll be fresh in your mind. There's also the 4,000 in Matthew 15 and in Mark 8. And you'll see some key things. And as I'm closing here at 1222, again, not on purpose, the Lord has a great call for each and every person in this room. The reason we are here, I propose the question, I'm going to answer it for you, in case you didn't already get it, which I know you have. I'll say it anyway. The reason we're still here is because the Lord wants to use us to distribute to his people. There is a world that needs him, and it is a rarity that Jesus shows up in their living room. I've heard those stories, but even when it happens... The Lord sends a pastor to then minister to them and teach them. The Lord preserved his word. Men sat down and typed and preserved and printed and leather bound it so that now that person that even had something you can say had nothing to do with anybody, Jesus showed up in their living room, they're still reading a Bible that somebody paid a price to put together. It cost them everything. And the point is that God wants to use you this is not some sort of, you know, in, in this church, you guys, there is no trickery because we're not trying to, like, you know, have some sort of big building fund or something. This is just, it's very simple, that God wants to use you to spread his kingdom. It's simple. Amen? Praise you, Lord. We just thank you for this word. And I just pray you put these things, Lord, down deep inside of us. I pray you plant your word inside of us. I pray that we would become one with you to truly know you. And Lord, I pray we'd let you out of us to serve and to be your hands and feet in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.